Welcome to The Founder's Mind, a podcast powered by the Kadar Group. This is your host, Adam Mutchler. Before we kick off the conversation with Amira, some exciting news. The Founder's Mind is bringing on a sponsor. We're currently producing season two to be sponsored by Upside Business Travel. We couldn't be more amped to work with Upside and their team, and we're looking forward to sharing more soon. And now on this episode, we have Amira Valiani, co-founder and CEO of Glow.fm, a platform enabling creators to monetize their work. Listen in as Amira discusses her journey from idea to product, through the iterations, finding and building a co-founder relationship, and raising a 2.3 million seed round of capital. Welcome to The Founder's Mind. I have Amira, co-founder and CEO of Glow.fm here. She's in town for the Rise of the Rest CEO Summit. We're in D.C. We're at a WeWork. And we're going to get the conversation rolling. Welcome, Amira. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I try and avoid introducing people beyond their titles because I feel like people are able to tell their story much better than I can. So I'd love to hear from you. And I know that listeners would love to hear in your words, what are you working on? What is Glow? Let's let's kick the conversation off. Yeah. Well, so Glow is the uh, easiest way for podcasts to start membership or subscription models. We think you should pay for your podcast or at least some of them. And we make that really easy to do. If you're a podcaster, we make that easy to set up in less than 10 minutes and um, you know, build a white label page for yourself and be able to either just take contributions from your listeners or even charge for and distribute exclusive content. Uh, so that's what Glow does. Amazing. Yeah. This might feel really weird because I personally use Glow for my show, but Amir and I met at Podcast Movement in 2018, and we were both wandering the halls of the expo, and I think you had donuts? Yeah, I had donuts. Yeah, she was peddling donuts, and I'm a sucker for sweets, and we started talking, and we kept in touch. So this is this is far beyond a random outreach. Yeah, it comes full circle, right? Exactly, exactly. All the way to DC, yeah, you know, which is great. So yeah, how did you get into this? And when I met you, it wasn't Glow. Yeah, it was very different. It yeah. was a long journey. So like eighteen months ago, it was not Glow. So what? Yeah, where did it start? Love to hear some of the iterations, and we'll dig into some things as well. Absolutely. So. Um, we can start with why why I got interested in podcasts and why I think they're such a powerful medium. So yes. I, I actually used to live down here in D.C. Uh, I was a political appointee in the Obama administration. And, uh, Dope. And, yeah, very, very amazing. We love Obama in D.C. Uh, and I love him in Seattle. <laughs> um, incredible few years. And, you know, I started out uh, as, as a aide out of college, started off at the State Department, went to the White House, ended up doing a lot of things related to press and sort of media-facing uh, work when I was at the White House, specifically on foreign policy. And I learned two things that process. One is, like, wow, media is so, so important. Mm. Um, you know, media is really responsible for crafting the cultural narrative and helping us as a country understand what's going on uh, in our government, but also broadly in our society and, and how we approach people. And, and I just realized, like, this is where I want to be. Like, I want to I be in media because it plays such a powerful force in our society. Um, and I also saw that there were sort of changing business models in media, but very few of them really uh, had aligned a business model that worked with wanting to communicate a lot of nuance, a lot of thoughtfulness. Um, and I saw that there was a really big need for be, to be able to capture people's minds for more than you know, 30 seconds at a time. Like I really wanted to be able to help use media to 
tell stories the way they should be told. For sure. Um, and so I went to business school and spent that time just thinking, like, how do I build a business model for media where, like, engagement aligns with making money? And I didn't know what that meant. But my first year in school, I started listening to podcasts. Mm. Um, and I listened to the Skimlet Show startup. Amazing. Yeah, and I fell in love like instantly. Have you heard Startup before? Yes. It's so good. It's actually um, one of the only podcasts that I listened to religiously in, yeah. the, in the beginning. It was one of my first introductions to podcasts. I will always, whenever there's a new episode, I'll always turn on. Although yeah. they just wrapped it. Um, yeah. So, so I heard the show, and I was like, "This is amazing. This is everything media should be. Right? It's thoughtful. It's nuanced. It, uh, you know, it makes you feel empathy for the person behind the microphone. Like, I want to be a part of this." And so when it comes to your story, it's like, how did I end up doing Glow? I just tried attacking podcasting from every way possible. Mm. And this was like 2014, 2015. So mm. it was a lot of iterations. And so at first I thought, you know, the, the listener experience sucks. Like maybe I'll build an app. Thought about building an app. Um, decided I didn't think that was the right approach. Um, then I started, um, you know, finding friends with podcasts and trying to sell ads for them because I knew a lot of podcasts made money through ads. And that was... Uh, you know, the previous iteration of what I was working on. It was called Backyard Media at the time. Mm, that's when we met. We met it back. We met it when it was Backyard Media. Backyard Media. And what I was doing at Podcast Movement is I was literally like holding a box of donuts trying to find podcasters to talk to me and to convince them to let me sell ads for them. That was my hustle. Nice. <laughs> so, so, you know, like super scrappy and learned a ton about the industry. Um, and then I also started my own podcast and it was a local news podcast. And, uh, you know, I reported on the city council election in my city, which was uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts at the time. And I developed an audience and you had tons of people listening. And so, yeah, so we reported on the city council election and we got all these people listening. We developed an audience. And by the end of the election, you know, we had enough listeners that actually probably made a difference in in who won if if people voted based on sort of the interviews they heard. Um, And... I had people coming back and saying, you know, are you going to do more? Are you going to do a second season? And I was trying to figure out how to monetize it. And I, I tried to figure out if there was a willingness to pay. And I realized talking to people, like, there probably was. So I came up with this whole business plan for— So when was this? This was 2017. So it was overlapping so this, this with backyard media. Okay, so this is okay, so before we met. This is before we okay, met. Okay, okay. Yeah. And so, so I did, like, you know, what you're supposed to do as an entrepreneur, which is, like, I interviewed my listeners. I tried to figure out willingness to pay— I was And I was like, all right, let me build a test. Let me test to see if people will pay for this podcast or this news company. Um, and as I tried to figure out how to test it, like, there were just no tools to be able to do it. Mm. And that was the start of the idea for Glow. But it took it took a long time, right? Like, I was working on the advertising business for a while. I was thinking about direct payments for a while. And um, at some point, I started, like, testing out these models. I was meeting podcasters and talking to them about it. And I realized there's a there there. Mm. And, you know, podcast. There was a there there? Yeah, there's a there there. Okay. Like, um, Is that the name of a podcast? Because I think that'd be good. There's a there there. Uh, maybe I'll start that podcast. Okay. <laughs> um, that was the evolution. And so I started digging into it more and more. And I said, you know, maybe I can't add value in advertising. I wasn't mm. sure if I could, but I think I can definitely add value in this sort of direct payment space. And yeah. so that's what we do. That's amazing. And the, there's a, it's so interesting. The sort of subscription base for media is blowing up. Yeah. Right. And Glow, you know, focusing on individual shows and the subscriptions that they might have. But it's been normalized to pay a monthly fee for a certain, like whether it's shows or whether it's on Patreon or whether it's even Medium, right? Has like a $5 a month. Yeah. Like, Paywall model. Yeah. Um, so what was, where did, when you went from Backyard Media hustling on the podcast movement, 
you know, conference floor expo, what was the next move? So at Podcast Movement, one of the other people I met while I was hustling donuts uh, was this guy who was uh, he had a podcast I was a fan of called Acquired. Mm. And I started chatting with him, and he was like, what are you up to? And I was talking about the ad business. I also told him I was, like, experimenting with these sort of direct payment ideas. And I tried to recruit him. I was like, hey, you have a podcast. It's probably pretty big. You like prototyping things. Yeah. Like Recruiting for what? To test out my prototype on okay, okay, direct okay. payments. Okay. And it was super janky, right? Like, I had put something together by, like, some combination of Twilio and PayPal. Like, I'm not technical, so I was yeah. trying to figure it out. And this is when you asked me about, like, text message response stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so uh, I was, like, going back and forth with him, and he said, you know, I, I run this incubator. I co-found this incubator out of Seattle, and we're working on something really similar. Like, why don't we keep talking? Okay. So that was, you know, July 2018. So you were living in Boston. You were in Philly. And you met someone from Seattle. Yeah. Okay. We started trading yeah. emails and, you know, going back and forth in ideas. And I was trying to figure out my next steps because the advertising game was, like, working, but it wasn't mm-hmm, it wasn't mm-hmm. growing. But I was seeing hope in this, like, direct payments game. Yeah. Um, but I, I wasn't sure. Like, it was just me. It was really hard. And I fled to Seattle for Thanksgiving because my, my brother lives there. Oh, okay. I hit him up. And I said, hey, I'm going to be in town. Like, would love to talk some more. At this point, we'd trade a few emails, we had different ideas. Um, and he said, sure, why don't you come by? Next thing I know, I'm meeting all the managing directors of this startup studio. Um, so he's introduced me to basically everyone who has decisions about investments. Mm-hmm. Um, You're like, interesting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a couple of days later, he calls and he goes. Are you still in Seattle or not? Today? No, a couple of days later, he said he called. Uh, no, okay. I was back in Boston. Okay. Calls a couple of days later, I'm back in Boston and he says, look, like, we liked you. Everyone loved meeting you. Um, we'll back you. We want you to build this. We think you're the right leader for this. We'll help give you some pre-seed capital. We'll help you design and engineer it. We'll advise you. Uh, but you got to move to Seattle. And, uh, you know, why don't you test this out with us? And, and so Can I what? ask you a question? Yeah. Uh, did you make any requests or asks when you were there? Or uh, did this kind of— When I first met him? Yeah, you met all these people— and you had these conversations. Did you pitch? Did you make an ask or a pitch? Because, I mean, like, he called and made you an offer. I didn't make an ask. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. I was I was like— You're just being you. I was being me. I was sort of curious, but I was like, I don't quite know how this thing works. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't make an ask. It was it was clear, like, I was interested in what they were doing. And, yeah. Um, I was looking at a couple options. But they called, and they said, you know, what do you want to do? Sweet. Yeah. And uh That's not normal, right? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe okay. maybe you're like uh you know, make me feel I, I like the self-aggrandizement. Yeah, maybe mm-hmm. it's not maybe it's not normal. Okay. Like it's exciting. It yeah, was yeah. very cool like, to have ridiculous. them be yeah, like we want to work with you. Yeah, yeah. Um and so I, you know, my husband's in Boston. I just yeah. got married last September. Yeah, congrats. Um, September's a good month to get married. Yeah. That's when I got married. Great month to get yeah. married. And um and I said, yeah, I talked to him and we said all right, let's let's do a test run. So I moved out. Yeah. Uh, I, I moved out. We tested out for a couple months. We figured out, like, you know, how do I like working with these people? Sure. Is there a business here? I interviewed a ton of podcasters, interviewed a ton of listeners. Um, and somewhere around February, March, that's February, March of this year, yeah, yeah. 2019, um, I gained enough conviction that it was worth going for. And that's when we sort of pulled the trigger and said, like, let's make this Let's make this a real company. Let's double down on Glow. Boom. Uh, yeah. 
And that's that's how it happened. That's amazing. So you move, you're out in Seattle. You're not out there full time at first, or permanently. Excuse me. Yeah, I wasn't out there full time at first, but I was yeah. spending a lot. Of time, I was crashing with my brother. Okay, okay uh, cool. I spent a ton of time out there. All right. Coming back to Boston every once in a while. Okay. Um, and then you know, once we decided to form the company, I got an apartment and started developing some roots. My husband's still in Boston, so we go back and forth, but we're what? figuring it out. Yeah, we're, we're figuring it out. It's working. Okay, that's good. That's good. It's only been a few months. That's where good. We're that's starting good. It out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm always interested in timelines because I think it's something that over time gets blurry. And also it's really easy to see sort of the end result. Like we could look at you and say, look at the money you've raised, look at the people you're connected with, look at the conversations you're having and forget like all of the steps that you went through. You know? It's so real because, you know, when I tell my story, I condense what I just did down yeah. to like three minutes. Yeah. Um, and I gloss over all the back and forth yeah. and, um, you know, at what point certain decisions were made and actually to get into it is like, it's really messy. And yeah. there's a lot of nervousness and a lot of um, uncertainty packed into each of those steps. And when you tell the story after the fact, it just seems so clear. But it For wasn't. sure. Yeah. 20, hindsight is twenty twenty. So I'm sure there's more than one example, but what, what's one of those moments that were really messy or unclear or there was like, you might might've been particularly nervous uh, that you'd be willing to share. I mean, it was it was um, it was that December when I was you know thinking like, do I do I go to Seattle and do this thing? Because at that point, you know, I had this option to go like pursue a dream in a, in a different city. Yeah, I yeah. wasn't quite sure where the end game would be. I still don't know what the end game is, right? I just knew it's what I really wanted. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I also had other job offers that were strong job offers. Um, they were closer to home. The endpoint was more compelling. The money was like more clear. Sure. And um, I didn't know what to do. I was like, do I do I go for it and like move across the country and take a plunge on this thing that I'm not sure about and work with these people that seem great but I've never met before? Except for Thanksgiving. Except for Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, or do I do something that feels more rooted, even yeah. slightly more rooted? Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there's still startups. Yeah, yeah, bigger. for sure. Um, Closer to my husband, yeah. more flexibility, and it was really, really nerve-wracking. And I, I mean, you talk about that moment, it was like, I was, not only was I talking to all the people in these different positions, but I was, like, talking to my parents yeah. all the time, my brother all the time, my husband all the time, calling random friends, asking them for advice. Like, it was incredibly nerve-wracking those couple of weeks. So what was the, how did you get to, I'm going in? I think at some point I was talking to my brother. It was conversation you know, number fifty or yeah. sixty, and he he goes, "Amira, like you've always wanted to do this, and you're finally going to figure out whether it's right for you. Like yeah. you're finally going to go down the journey yeah, yeah, and the path, yeah. um, and and you'll figure it out. You know, like worst case scenario, it doesn't work. You'll still be able to get a job. You've proven that you can get a job. <laughs> um, but best case scenario, like you're you're living the dream that you wanted to do, and yeah. this is a really amazing opportunity to do it. You don't have kids yet, like you have a husband to support. If you have me in Seattle, um, you're like that's not really a bonus, but that's fine. Yeah, I was like, all right, discount. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he said, you know, come do this. Like you have you have all the support. All of us are rooting for you. You should just go for it. Amazing. Yeah. So it was the culmination of many conversations with that crystallization there. Totally. And like, finally, one family member. Finally, one family member. Just like getting so frustrated by my decision that he was like, what are you waiting for? Yeah. And sometimes you just need someone to tell you that. It's like, no, go. Yeah. I think that that's true. There is that nudge or that shove or whatever it is. Um, and it was actually, there was a, it was articulated well in another show. 
Um, Tim Ferriss had, I think, Ryan Holiday. And I, they talk about a lot of stuff. But there was a moment where Tim Ferriss asked, like, why, why did you drop out of college? Like, what was it that sort of caused you to make that choice? And Ryan said, when I was presented with something that if I was graduating from school would be my dream job, like, that's what I wanted to do. That's when you know. That's when I left. He's like, I left because this is what, if I, even in finishing school, this is the exact job I would want, you know, and that he could always come back to school. And like, listening to your story and like what your brother shared with you, it's like, look, this is the thing that you've wanted. Yeah. Why are you so scared of it? (laughs) Well, we can get into that too, but like, you can go back to the jobs that are out there. They're not going to evaporate. Maybe that specific job, but like there will be jobs. I think that's the number one thing to realize is it's so easy. And it, it, it's something I better understood growing up is at these junctures in your life, it's really tempting to think, all right, I'm at this three-way juncture and I'm going to choose one path and it has to be the right path. What happens if I don't go down these other two? Like, is this the right one? And over and over again, I realized, like, you can always go back to those other paths. You can go back to the other paths. And, and, like, and new ones emerge. Maybe the, maybe there are three multiple right ones. Yeah. I, you know? Yeah. Not, yeah. not two wrong ones and a right. Totally. You know, like, it could be that you could do fulfilling and amazing things in, in many scenarios, which I think we're not programmed to think that way. Yeah, it's very easy to think life is a, you know, like a choose your own adventure Goosebumps book. Yeah. And it is a choose your own adventure. It just, the endpoints aren't as final as we may I think. think. It, I think it starts at college. You can decide what college you're going to go to. Yeah. And there's one, there is the college for you. I don't think that's the truth. It's like, there are a lot of opportunities and wherever you go, you'll probably find your way. And to your point, if you don't, you can always make an adjustment. And I think that there is some privilege with that, but like that mindset that it's not fixed, you know, is, is totally. important. Um, so you go to Seattle, you meet all these people, you start working on it. It's not backyard media anymore. It was something else before glow. Maybe it was five things before it was glow. What was that experience going out there? And and sort of, you were very nervous to, to make that leap, but you made the leap. And then what happened? Uh, it's still happening. Um, so made the leap and, you know, it took a few months just to, to feel validated. And that's like a really um, fun space to be in because what you're spending all your time doing is, is making phone calls. It's um, going to conferences. Mm. It's like studying up on different ways the model work. It's talking to really smart people and asking their advice. Um, and that's sort of like a lovely period to start thinking like, all right, where, where am I right? Where am I wrong? Where are my biases here? Mm. And at some point you go from, all right, I'm interviewing a lot of people to like, let's Let's build this thing. Yeah. And we uh, talked a couple of times. Yeah, we talked a couple of times. With different, when it was like little different structures. It used to be different, called Kimberlite. Kimberlite, yeah. which I like, but Glow's cool. Yeah. You know? Uh, different structures, different ways it could work, like mm-hmm. all of the above. And so, you know, took the plunge. And I think, um, yeah, at some point we said, all right, we're going to build a company out of this. And um I'm like sort of awestruck by it, right? It's yeah. like, wow, this this thing that I've been working on for a while is like a fully formed entity. Um, but that's only at the start of it. Right, and then, right. Um, and then you sort of have this checklist where you're like, all right, what are all the things I need to get done? Because a lot needs to get done, but what are the most important things? Yeah. So I discover, is, this is so cliche, but startup life is constantly a like 
there's a million things you could do. What are the three things that you should spend your time on right now yeah. that like you cannot drop? And so the first thing that I had to get done is I had to recruit a co-founder. And sure. so I went out and just talked to tons and tons of people, like built really strong relationships. I found Brian. So how'd you build strong relationships? Well, yeah, maybe strong relationships is, is an overstatement, like when you're first starting out, but it takes repeated interaction. Yeah. Um, this is actually like a really important point, not just on the business front, but personally moving to Seattle, it's, it's made me think a lot about what is a relationship? Like how, how do you build a friendship over time? And it's really about, it's not like one day you have a really long conversation with someone and all of a sudden it clicks, although that stuff's helpful. It's really about just repeated interactions with someone and catching them on different days, approaching different subjects from a different context. Like my co-founder, you know, we met in the office a bunch of times, we had coffee a bunch of times, but it was really important that I meet his family and we like go over to his place and he cooks dinner and I meet his kids and hang out with them. That's a huge piece of the puzzle. This was before you were officially co-founders? Yeah. Nice. Before. And so, and incredibly important because yeah. we need to understand like if we are going to be butting heads in the office, yeah, if yeah. we're going to be thinking about approaching these problems yeah. do we actually align on our values like do we feel like the other person's a good person do we feel like the other person wants similar things to us mm-hmm. where are they coming from when mm-hmm. they raise certain objections like um that was super important so step one find a co-founder sure. check that box can i ask uh, you another question about your co-founder yeah do you have a favorite meal that brian cooked um, he's cooked one. He's cooked one meal. Oh, one meal. So, oh, okay. So we've like had dinner multiple times, but like it, it, he had he had me over once. Okay. He cooks scallops; they're fantastic. Oh, wow. Okay, good. Yeah, and his his wife Ellen cooks some butternut squash, which is great. Ooh. The most impressive part of that meal actually was he has two kids, uh, six and nine, I want to say, and they ate the scallops. And I'm like, what six year old eat scallops? That's they a good do. question. You know, scallops are actually the literally, literally the only food I've ever eaten that upsets my stomach. Really? Like I don't have an, I don't have an issue with shellfish. I don't have an issue with anything, any kind of seafood. But every time I have scallops, there's always not, not, not catastrophic, but I'm always like, oh, feel so good. Super random. Yeah, very random. But you had scallops and butternut squash. And scallops and, and the kids squash. ate it. Was great. Anyways, that's a nice little tangent, but I, I like stuff like that. So find the co-founder. <clears throat> And you're emphasizing, and I'm saying this again because I think this is a big question, you know, talk about, like, trust and things like that and, you know, work with your best friend. Um, but putting in that time for that relationship and getting to know who they are, values, like you said, spending time with family in, in a short period of time. Yeah. Right? So you you found a co-founder. You made the ask, the offer. Maybe he made the ask. I don't know. And then what was the other priority? So that was thing one. Priority two was... Um, Let's raise some money. <laughs> like, let's figure out how to get this off the ground. Okay. I'm sorry. That wasn't priority two. Priority two is like, let's go find some customers. Yeah. And thing, this thing works. Is this still we're, March? Are we like April, May? So now we're like looking at the stretch between basically January to June. Like, okay. Some okay. Okay. Cool. So like, cool. Cool. Started talking to co-founder in January. Started like pre-vetting customers around January cool. or February. Um, we're lucky we already had a couple of customers built right. in when we like were testing it for a year. But then it was like, let's ramp up. Let's find other use cases. Let's let's test pricing. Yeah. You know? With a real product. And so that was priority too. Is let's get some other customers on there. Um, and what was really interesting about that, and I think one thing that gave me a lot of confidence, is we we had a few customers from the exploratory period. So just like, a, here's the product, what do you think yeah. of it, would you use this, that came back to us and said, 
hey, I, I want to launch my subscription program in March. Like, are you going to be ready? Uh-huh. Uh, and that's, you know, it's, it's like, okay, you got some semblance of product market fit because yeah, yeah. people want, want you to do it. So um, we sort of rushed to build a product at that point and get it out the door so that they could test with it. So those were our first couple of customers. Um, and then around May, I was like, oh, it's time to raise some money because we got to hire some engineers. We got to get this product out the door and, and scale it some more. So when I ended that. So January to May. And then you're ready to, you, you're in the raising mindset. Yeah. Uh, well. Officially. We're talking officially. about like high speed. I think thinking we, about this for a while. Totally. You, I think we like officially launched the raise in June, okay. but May was when I really started thinking like, yeah. how do I approach this? What is the right story? So how did you determine that raising was the move? So you needed engineers. You'd already built something. Yeah. We'd already built, we already had an MVP that we had sort of built out with the startup studio, yeah. which is great. Um, and so the studio had engineering talent. Yeah, they had engineering talent okay, cool. that they helped provide to like incubate the company. Got it, got it, got it. Um, we need engineers, and the nature of the business as it is is it's not it's a cash flow business, but it's not a ton of cash up front, right? Like what we are doing is we are making a bet on the podcasters we work with that we are going to align ourselves with them and help them build their businesses, right? And along the way, our business will grow. Sure. That means we weren't going to be profitable from day one, right? Or, right. or close. Um, and so in order to get ahead of that and really race ahead and say, like, we're, we need a product to be super robust, we're running people's businesses here. So it can't, it can't be crappy, right? Like, yeah. We're taking in money and, and paying it out. Um, we, we realized, like, we need some money. And so we went out and we started thinking about what the raise looked like and understanding, like, how much money to raise, things like valuations, um, sort of the, the right way to think about your capital spend, mm-hmm. that came through a ton of conversations with investors. So the first sure. couple of weeks was um, just like introducing myself, like filling people out with different um, with different numbers. Sort of like when you're price testing customers, you're also price testing investors, yeah, yeah. right? Like, so is this your first time that you've raised money? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, first time I've raised money. Uh, was there some more, were there, were there some more anxious and nervous moments in here or no? You oh were my like, God. Yeah. So anxiety provoking Okay. because what you're doing is you're going out there and you're saying, I really believe in this thing. Um, and showing it to a bunch of people. And some people are like, I don't get it. And some people think they're much smarter than you are and sort of have ideas about what's going to happen in the industry. And some people are really nice to you, uh, but then never respond to your emails. And other people are like, this is really cool up front. Let's mm-hmm. make, let's see how this works. But at every step of the way, you are walking into a meeting not knowing which one it's going to be. Yeah. And some of these people are, like, really famous or really well-known or have incredible accomplishments. So, yeah. you know, it's it's um, what's cool about fundraising is that you have the chance to talk about your business in front of some incredibly smart, knowledgeable people. Yeah. Like, that part I love about fundraising. like really Even if they're not cutting you checks. Totally. Just getting that because feedback. some of these people are, like, just really deep in media and have yeah. seen a lot of stuff or they've seen SaaS businesses or work with creators. Like, their range of experiences is awesome, a lot of them. So that, that part's fun. What's not fun is going home and being like, all right, like I'm flying to New York next week. I'm flying to LA tomorrow. Like it is just grueling and you're going in and making the same pitch over and over again. And you don't have enough time, or at least I didn't leave myself enough time to really take in the feedback and turn it around because mm-hmm. you're coming up with a story from scratch for the first time, mm-hmm. right? And you don't know what's going to resonate and not resonate. Right. So the fundamentals of the business can all be super sound. The engineering can be great. You can have customers. But if you're not telling the story the right way or imagining the future of the business the right way, the feedback you're going to get is going to poke holes at what that story should look like. Yeah. Um, and so really understanding what what is the story you should be telling and figuring out for yourself, like, where 
where is this business going? Is that person's feedback valid? Is that something I want to take on board or not? It's really important. I think those are great points. And I was just, um, when I went to Afrotech, Charles Hudson from Precursor did a talk on raising and he talked about a couple things. And one of them was, what is the story you're telling? And the importance of that from the perspective of sometimes when you're pitching or telling your story, um, the person that you're telling it to has to then tell it again to a general partner or someone else in the organization. So how easy is it for them to remember and maintain that spark of the story? So if you just dump a bunch of information on them and they're like, okay, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. When they're sharing it, they're not going to say the same stuff. Yeah. They said something really similar at the Rise of the Rest Summit, which was, you know, um, you know, we, we want to invest in you, we want to believe in your mission. But if you don't go for the moon, like, we can't go there for you. Like, you got to set the bar, and we may or may not follow you, but we definitely cannot lead the way for you. Sure. You know, you have to set the story. And so what's your go to the moon? What's our go to the moon? Yeah. Um, I w- so my personal mission is I want to make sure I help 10,000 people before I turn 40. It can make a big difference in their lives. Okay. Um, I think a way we can do that is by creating a media environment that is robust, that's sustainable, uh, where people get the chance to really go deep and tell important stories, uh, communicate important issues, um, and they they build livelihoods out of it. Mm-hmm. So, so people would be like podcasters, podcasters, content creators. Yeah. Okay, so, cool. so if we can help you. Know, tens of thousands of people build their media businesses, I would be incredibly, incredibly proud. Okay. And the way it starts is by giving them the tools they need to be able to, you know, first just charge people for their work and and empower them to be willing to do that. And then it goes with helping them grow their businesses and Mm. figuring out how they access new audiences and get feedback from them Um, and understand, like, the same way that every other small business out there has tools available to them to be able to figure out how to create their product more quickly, distribute it better, and then grow their market. Content creators deserve the same thing. And so we're touching podcasters right now. <clears throat> what I realize is like every podcaster, they're not just a podcaster. They often are using their podcast as one touch point with their audience. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, they, maybe they have YouTube, maybe they have consulting services, um, Maybe they are putting newsletters out there. They have a bunch of different touch points. So we should help them figure out like how these things glue together, yeah. their audiences, and understand how to be able to feel confident going all in and making that their business. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Amazing. I am thrilled about it. Yeah, I feel like there's this whole surge around creation. We have all these platforms. You know, some of them have been around for a while. YouTube's been around for a minute, you know. Even with social, Instagram's been around for a while now. But there are all of these ways to put a story out there, right? And podcasting, like you said, is just one of them. And so it'll be interesting to see how things are monetized. And you mentioned Gimlet at the beginning of the show. I feel like the podcast space hasn't been hyper-monetized yet until Spotify cut like a $300 million check. Yeah. And it's like, oh, there's some real money here. And not just like individual shows who have great audiences and get ad money, but like value in the stories and the brands that are being built. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, and it's going to grow a ton. I mean, podcasting this year, this is what's nuts. It's like a five or $600 million business this year. Imagine that. <clears throat> and uh, I think it's in 2015, it was a $60 million business. Yeah, that's so crazy. It's 
10x in just a few years. Yeah. But it's not even close to being as big as it could be, right? Oh, like, billions. Yeah, billions of dollars. Yeah. And it's predicted to be a, a multi-billion or a billion dollar business next year. Sure. Five or 10 years from now, it's going to be huge. Um, and so how do we create the platform for the people who are creating that content mm-hmm. to be able to go all in mm-hmm. and be able to feel like they can get paid for creating really valuable content so that they can invest in the growth mm-hmm. of what they're putting out there? That's the idea. What's one of the What's one of the biggest? I'm gonna change the subject a little bit. What's one of the biggest lessons that you took out of the fundraising experience besides storytelling? I mean, you're out there, you're hitting the pavement. Um, I'll say two things. One, like highly practical, and the other, a little more ethereal. Um, the first highly practical one is like. Uh, it just takes it takes a lot of time and giving yourself space to breathe and really taking the feedback you're getting is really important and understanding if fundraising is a process and understanding like what you're focusing on at any given time and not doing a million things at once. Mm-hmm. It, 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 demands a lot of focus if you're going to do it well. Mm-hmm. So when I was active fundraising, that's what I was doing. I was spending, you know, at, Almost every week I'd be traveling. I was spending 75 to 80% of my time on the fundraise, 20% of the time, like just checking out the business, making sure everything was functioning. Sure. But, but that's what I was doing. And then the idea is that when you can turn fundraising off, you turn it off and you go back to focusing on the business. And way better to do it like that than, uh, than take like a couple meetings a week and see if you can sort of tie around together. Because you're getting a lot of stimulus um, you're getting a lot of feedback and you want to be able to compress all that in a short mm. amount of time as possible because it's a time suck. It takes a lot of yeah. time to respond to these investors and set up meetings. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, what I'll be doing next time I fundraise, um, and I wish I'd done before, is, you know, spend, figure out when you're going to start doing your introductory meetings. Maybe set aside a few weeks for that. Um, stack a bunch of those introductory meetings, maybe to New York one week, LA one week, San Francisco one week. Meet a bunch of people, sort of tell them what you're doing. Get their sort of preliminary feedback informally. Take one or two weeks off, go back to your business, make sure things are running, and then figure out how to incorporate that informal feedback into your pitch. Mm. So that when you go out and hit up all those people again, plus all the people they're going to introduce you to, you have a tighter story. You've been able to answer some of their questions through mm. the work you're doing on your business. Um, and you're back on fundraising, right? Like You're able to show progress, you're meeting those folks, and your story is just going to be better. Sure. Um, so that's that's like... Practical. Figure out when you're turning <laughs> the spigot on or turning the spigot off and give yourself space to take in feedback after that sort of first round of getting out there. Um, the, the second thing is it is totally an exercise in confidence. Mm. If it, It's sort of what you were saying, right? If you're not confident in your story and if you're not the person selling the vision, no one else is going to do it for you. Mm-hmm. And so there are days where you just feel like on top of the world and there are days where you just feel like shit walking into a room because <laughs> you're really tired and you're crashing on friends' couches. Um, but the minute you walk into the room, like you got to be out there when like selling the biggest vision for your story, that for your company that you have. Yeah. Because this is totally uh, a space where you can do that, and if you do it well, the investor will buy in and want to go on the journey with you. But if you don't connect the dots for them, you've lost that meeting. You might as well not be there. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so, you know, it, you got to be confident and believe in yourself. And, like, those are the pitches that are going to go to well because those are the people who are going to want to believe in you and help you figure out how to achieve that vision. For sure. What? How long was the process for you once you, once you were actively? It was, I would say, two and a half months okay. from start to finish. Of like, go, 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 go. Yeah, the last couple of weeks were a little less go-go because that was the period where we had a term sheet and we're just sort of finalizing, um, you know, 
uh, what is the final term? Who signs what? How does stuff work? For but, sure. But otherwise, yeah, it was go, 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 go. It was uh, incredibly exhausting and fun. Like, I learned a lot yeah. and really cool to be able to meet a lot of these folks. But it's tough. It's a tough process. So it's you're, the round closed officially or you announced it, let's say, in we, August? Yeah, we announced it in August. Okay. And what have, what's been going on since August? You've been able to focus on your business. Yeah, so a few things. One is we've been focusing on building out the team. Amazing. So it's not just me and Brian. We have a couple of engineers who have joined. We have this amazing new growth person who came on board. And so... I think I've emailed with him. Yeah, Danny. Yeah, Danny, exactly. Um, and so we've been able to just get a lot of leverage in figuring out how to grow out the business beyond just what we were doing. And there's... Um, nothing like the incredible feeling of walking in the office one day and it used to just be you and one other person. All <laughs> of a sudden you have five people all sitting Whoa. there um, and and they're all with you on this journey and have, have opted to spend their lives or at least this portion of their lives like building out this vision. And make a pretty big bet at this point. And make a super big bet. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's thing one. And thing two is, you know, we've... Uh, we've onboarded a ton of podcasters. We started making money for like a lot of great shows and we know our customers much, much better. And Sweet. so now we're focusing on growth. And so that's, um, that's everything. It's like, we've gotten the chance to actually invest in running experiments to figuring out what, mm. what works, one, to get more podcasters on board, but also to help our podcasters succeed. Uh, and so that's what we spend a lot of our time on. Amazing. What's, we'll do a couple, couple last quick questions. Um, what's something that you know now? that you wish you had known at the beginning of this process. And I'm sure in a year you'll have a totally new set of things, but what's something that you know now that you're like, damn, that would have been helpful. Um, I'll say my instinct is usually right. Mm. Um, there's a lot of times where I'll second guess my instinct because, because, you know, the, yeah. Uh, no one knows what they're doing, right? Like it's a new space. Um, you know, you're around a lot of experts. And usually what happens is a couple months later, I look back and I'm like, huh, like I was kind of right that we should build that feature. I was kind of right that we should like take that tack with that customer. And actually my instincts are pretty good here. So mm -hmm. I've become like quite confident in understanding what my instincts are and why I get them. And, you know, the next step is being much more able to be able to sort of explain those instincts yeah. and, and sort of un unearth where they are. The second piece, and, and this is sort of relevant, is when you're having people sort of bet on you and whether it's whether it's your team or your investors or your customers, um, you really got to figure out what your core message is and make sure everyone sort of knows that same story so that they can come with you. Yeah. So it's not just what's amazing about fundraising is like that is the first time, but certainly not the last time that you're going to end up figuring out what your story is and how, sure. how to sell it. And it is a great practice for being able to tell your team where they're going, what their priority should be, um, tell your customers that and, and what they should be thinking about and your vision for them. And so being able to figure out how to constantly communicate those values and make sure that people aren't just going to get on the same page with you. You have to make sure you bring them with you mm. uh, is incredibly important. And that's a huge lesson for leadership. You can't just expect people to see what you're seeing. You really have to paint the picture for them. Yeah. This could dovetail into an entire conversation around bias and the differences of what we see, but we'll leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> um, Amira, what is the best way for people that are listening to follow along in this journey, get in touch if they're interested I mean, Glow is growing and things are happening, right? So what's the best way to follow along? 
Two things. Um, one is, is if you're a podcaster or a content creator and curious about how you can engage your audience better and maybe make some money, you should go to glow.fm, check out the site, sign up. As soon as you sign up, you'll get an email from someone on our team because uh, we're really committed to helping the people who we work with um, succeed in this process. And so we, we, we make sure to reach out to everyone. Sweet. Um, and it's not an automated email. It's actually us. Usually within 24 hours, we'll send you an email. Uh, the second thing is you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, follow me at Amira, or at Amira Valiani. Uh, you can probably find the name spelled out. Uh, yeah. In, in we'll the, show the show notes, stuff um, like that. And finally, you know, you should go check out glow.fm slash Founders Mind and, and become a part of the movement by supporting Founders Mind. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you for making time while you're in DC. Thank you for having me. This is Praying so lovely and an incredible way to come full circle. Yes, seriously. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Founders Mind. Check back soon for season two, sponsored by Upside Business Travel. Learn more about Upside at upside.com. If you like what you're hearing, we'd love your support. Sign up to be a funder of The Founder's Mind. To support the show, you can go to the show notes or head to thefoundersmind.com and click the link funder. To make sure you don't miss any awesome wisdom from guests and stay up to date on the most recent episodes of the show, be sure to visit thefoundersmind.com. You can also follow along on social at The Founders Mind. Last but not least, thank you to Roy Matz for the music on this show and his dope editing skills that make The Founders Mind possible. Until next time, take care. In the world, going through all of this insanity and try to bring new ideas, make them a reality. Illuminate in the thoughts, make it a priority to implement what you learn, what you get is what you be. In a world full of noise, hard to find that clarity to try to lead subtly, never full of vanity and try to change something small or try to change humanity. Power forward through the dark, founder's mind is what you see. Mind is what you see.